Learn the most empowering hiring techniques. Land the most desirable talent. Launch your company towards massive success. This is the Higher Power Radio Show with your host, Rick Gerard. Most of us have a tendency to fast track anyone who comes through an internal referral. The rationalization is that we automatically trust the referral source, so the person is going to be a great hire. And the time pressure to fill the role, and we are ready to extend an offer before the interview even takes place. Yes, there's an increased likelihood that the person will work out, but there is a danger too. Because the person is a referral is the exact reason why they need to be impressed with your thoroughness in your interview process. Process does not dissuade A players from joining you. It gives them the impression of excellence that's expected from everyone within the organization. I'm Rick Gerard, and welcome to the Higher Power Radio Show. We help entrepreneurs and executives win the strongest hires by sharing the insights from top-performing rebel entrepreneurs, game changers, and industry leaders like our guest today, Mr. Todd Osherman. He is the CEO of Notaru. Now, Todd is an attorney and entrepreneur with over a decade of experience in building high-growth companies in the financial services space. Having successfully exited multiple companies while personally hiring hundreds of employees along the way, he is currently building Notaru, a lending software platform for the mortgage industry. Todd is here to share his experience with hiring through an internal referral, which is what makes Todd the perfect expert for today's topic. Todd, welcome to the Higher Power Radio Show today. It's great to be here, Rick. Thanks for having me on. And uh, any time that I get to, a chance to swap stories when it comes to especially uh, problems with hiring personnel, I'm, I'm always happy to do it. I've got several of these in my back pocket. So uh, really, really excited to get into it with you today. And I am too. So it's going to be invaluable to our audience. So today we're going to discuss why it's critical to thoroughly vet internal referrals. And then we're going to talk about how to ensure that the referrals fit. Sound like a plan? Yeah. Let's do it. it. So let's talk about the challenge today. You actually started out with telling me kind of a story about your experience. Yeah. Well, share that with us from a high level. So after I sold my last company, we were sort of brought into a corporate structure that already existed. So sort of emerging, if you will. And as part of that, I was sort of given a couple of people that were with the corporate entity that purchased mine. It was sort of framed as, hey, we've got a couple of guys here that are going to be perfect for the division that you're building out. And we think these guys are A-gamers. And here's the gift to sort of help get you started with hiring in this particular area. So it was like a Trojan horse gift. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it was a gift that kept on <laughs> You guys giving. can see where we're leading on this one. It's just one of those things. The One of the hires was ab- an absolute ace. One of the guys that came over, he's, we're still friends to this day. He was just an absolute rock star. And the other one who was sort of positioned as the manager or the person who's going to be my manager in this location. I was still living in San Diego at the time. This location was in Virginia. The person that was going to basically be my manager in Virginia was the one that, that we're going to be discussing today. And it's just one of those situations to where the more that I learned and was able to uncover, the more that I realized I should have uncovered it way before I got started. So it ended up getting in pretty high over my head. And by the time I realized what was really occurring with, with this particular person, it was almost too late. I think we mentioned it. It's like I almost had a mutiny on my hands with that division over in Virginia. 
So let's take it a little bit back to her. Okay, you get you get these two referrals. Yeah. Did you interview them or did you just kind of trust that these people are just going to work I out? I interviewed them. It was one of those things where I was, at the time, I was so relieved because there was so much going on, right? After the sale of my company and trying to, to, to grow, we had very ambitious growth patterns. At, the, at one point, we were hiring 30 people per month. So I was very happy to sort of get this bone from the company that bought mine. That's what I took it for. So I, I was very excited about sort of not having to go through the process of vetting them. I thought that I was getting a couple of A-gamers and one absolutely was. And the, the other one, ultimately, I, I should have put the screws to him a little bit better. Really kind of, I was thinking about this and reflecting after we spoke the other day. One of the things that I could have from an early level uncovered was just asking if he had any conflicts with the company prior to him and I being introduced. I don't know if he'd have been honest with me, to be honest, because it's like, let's just say that he had a very interesting relationship with the truth. But I feel like at least at that point, I probably could have read something in to what was in store for me as we continued to work together. Gotcha. I mean, that's certainly a big challenge. And I think a lot of people go through this similar challenge where like they inherit some people or they have the ability and it's it's more a sense of relief, right? Like, oh God, I get to get this off my plate. Yeah, you know, there, there's that sort of trust factor where it's like, okay, cool. I've got somebody who's already been through the process, knows the company culture. He's kind of a yes man. I mean, he really was saying all the right things when we first started getting together. And ultimately what ended up happening was I found out that because I'd kind of given him this assumed power, he really allowed that power to go to his head. And, you know, as sort of my manager in Virginia at the time when we were doing a lot of hiring, he was the voice of bringing on new people. And I think that's where the mistake ended up occurring was he was the one that I trusted to hire sort of in his likeness, but based on the vision that I was bringing to the table. And what ended up happening was he was hiring people and really kind of creating his own little skunk works type of a group within the organization. It's everybody that he hired was kind of like his. And, and so he was very focused on maintaining his group and what the interest ultimately of this particular guy, we can call him Jay, basically maintaining Jay's interest in the company and making sure that Jay was furthering his own politics and furtherance with the company because it's a big company. You know, it was growing very fast at the time. The interests of Jay were not the interests of what we were building. They were at one point very disaligned. And once I realized that we kind of had a secondary captain sort of steering a ship in his own direction, it began to cause problems. And so there's a very significant divide with what Jay was bringing to the table in terms of complaints within the organization, in terms of things that, that I would pass down as, hey guys, you know, this is mission critical. We have to do these things. He would sort of yes man me to my face and sort of talk bad about, you know, what, what he thought the direction should have been to his people. And ultimately that got back to me because I've got a pretty open door policy and part of my management style is to be as inclusive as possible. So a couple of people kind of came up to me and said, hey, you know, I think you might have a problem on your hands with Jay here. Got it. Got it. See, then I think this is where like, I'm going to go back to the actual interview process is that you didn't have this conversation about the vision or agree on it. And he didn't really buy in. Yeah. Well, and I think that that was the other problem too is, and this is the cautionary tale as well, is when organizations are merging, the vision that I brought was very grand and very focused. He was already on another vision that was much more limited. I called the area, without getting into too much detail, the corporate structure was, was very blasé that we came in on. And I'm a pretty colorful guy. So we were very clear with our vision and our focus. The corporate culture that we came into was much less clear. So he was already sort of ingrained and entrenched in a culture that I just didn't pick up on until it was too late. 
while I was saying exactly this is, you know, this is where we're going, this is the culture that we're building, part of the culture that I kind of came into was just the sort of nod and, and let it go and nobody speak up or you might get in trouble sort of a thing. So he was promulgating that to a, a high degree. So he was just kind of yes manning me, but he was already entrenched in this culture of what do I have to do to not get fired? That's not at all what we were trying to build. And in some ways, maybe I created a monster. You really have to ask yourself the question of like, do they align with my values? And that's why it's important to talk to them. And then why is this person being referred to me? Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> and, 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 and not only that, but just kind of trying to understand exactly what their role was in the company was a mistake that I made that if I could go back and do this a little bit differently, the questions I would have asked would have been, have you had any conflict with anybody in the company prior? Turns out this individual had been written up a couple of times and probably should have been fired before I came on. But because this company that they're pretty firing averse, everybody was very afraid of confrontation. That, that's kind of what I, I, I walked into on a So they make you do it. Yeah. So ultimately <laughs> I did it. And it was, you know, it was funny because by the time I realized what was going on and I had a talk with him, you know, I said, Hey Jay, what's, what's happening. I'm, I'm getting all these reports that you're going over here and we're going over here. Ultimately he was pretty oblivious to it. So I, at that point, I started digging around to the corporate culture already or the corporate entity already and asking about, okay, so what's going on with this person? That's when I uncovered that he was already on strike three. But nobody bothered to tell me when I signed on. It was more of a, hey, we don't know what to do with him, so let's just give him to the new guy <laughs> sort of a thing. As, as a welcome gift. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what a yeah. nice welcome gift. All right, you're listening to the Higher Power Radio Show. I'm your host, Rick Gerard. And for our podcast listeners, we're going to take a quick educational moment from our sponsors. Hey, check out stridesearch.com. There you'll find additional content and resources to winning the strongest hires. Also, you can pick up the book Healing Career Wounds, which is available now on Amazon. Our guest today we're speaking with is Todd Osherman. He's the CEO of Notaru, which is his new company. We're talking about his last company because he learned a very valuable lesson today. today. And I, I thank you for coming on and sharing that with the audience. Once you realize this, what do we do to solve this problem? Like, what did you do initially? And then what structure did you put in place to avoid this in the future? Yeah, well, the, the big lesson that I learned there was really just diffusing the hiring process in the sense that I had given this person a lot of power over who we were bringing into the organization. And that began to backfire on me once I realized that it you know, became very obvious that he was rowing in a different direction. So going forward, what we ended up doing is we, I took a lot of my team leads and made them part of the hiring process. We created a much more organized and structured hiring process wherein we had our recruiter and trainer would actually do the very, would reach out to folks and get, we had a lot of referrals. We had a lot of people that we would gather through sort of traditional means. And my recruiter would speak to them and sort of give the very first half an hour interview. After that, I'd have a couple of my team leads actually do the, the next interview based very much on our core values and our focus and our goals and where we were headed and to really make sure that there was alignment on what we wanted to do and you know, the value system of the people that we were hiring. It was very important to us at that point. I had final say over everything. So if I couldn't do a face-to-face -face final interview, I would do a 30-minute phone interview, kind of dependent on whatever was happening with the scheduling. But the long and the short of it was is I got very much more involved in the process myself and I also, you know, made sure that I had a series of lieutenants that were sort of on a rotating schedule to do these interviews. Again, we were hiring 20, 30 people a month. So there's a lot of interviewing going on. I wanted to make sure that I was more involved in, in the process from a soup to nut standpoint and that we actually had a true blue process. So every single person went through this waterfall of tasks before we finally made the offer. And it made a, a tremendous amount of difference just in terms of the people that we were hiring and 
feeling like that they were a part of the team and that they weren't kind of part of this separate group was really huge. And then another big one that we instituted was really trying to create opportunities for people to get to know each other. Because again, it was a very large organization, very fast growing. So we did like a lot of offsite things like barbecues and things outside of the office to try to kind of keep things a little bit more relaxed. But also I found that it was very important to me that everybody understood and interacted with somebody, you know, with people that they work with on a human level. You know, I wanted so people culture. to be friendly. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you actually put culture to the front of how you hired and how you approached. That was the big lesson. And that's, you know, currently with my, my current company, we, we hire strictly based on culture. That's, that's everything is making sure that the people that, that we're talking about bringing into the organization, we really dig to find out what their personal values are. And if those personal values are, are aligned with the values of the company, we've come a long way, right? We've weeded out a lot of the folks that could potentially cause us problems. Now it comes down to, you know, whether or not they have the skill sets that we need or if they have the trainable abilities to be able to do those skill sets that we need. It's a lot easier at that point versus what we were doing before when I had uh, sort of Jay running these things. It was much more skills based and there wasn't a whole lot of emphasis on the, the cultural aspect of it that we, we had to to kind of get in there and pull up by the roots. When you're 100% skills-based, you get lucky. If you make a good hire, you got lucky. And more often than not, you're going to make a bad hire. And again, the fact that you've gone to a model where you're evaluating values alignment first is huge. When also too, you, you know, people that have really good skills, they're able to hide their problems very successfully for a very long time. And so if someone's able to come in and, and let's say that they're a really killer salesperson or something like that, and you're like, oh my goodness, this person has unbelievable pedigree. Then you bring them in and, oh wow, they're really delivering results and, and their numbers are fantastic. If you're not paying attention to what's happening outside the numbers in the sense that how are they to the support staff? Yeah. How are they to every other person that, that's not directly tied to their bottom line? Are they nice people? And maybe some organizations that, you know, maybe they don't want nice, but I kind of feel like life is short. Living with a bunch of jerks for the greater part of your day tends to be, tends well, to be you're, unsatisfactory. Yeah. I mean, if you're a jerk, though, and you want to be around other jerks, then yeah, I mean, that's and a perfect roll. culture for you, for sure. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like, I've had a learning experience similar to what you talked about, where I've had somebody who is a phenomenal recruiter, did great, rubbed everybody in the team the wrong way. Mm -hmm. And when that person left, production skyrocketed through the roof. Everybody's personal production went up. That was a hard thing for me to accept. Like, oh, gosh, if I lose this person, that's going to be a big part of our income. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's like everybody else seems to know those problems sometimes except for us in, <laughs> yeah. in management or in leadership. It's, it takes a while for us to figure it out, especially if we haven't been doing the right things from the jump off. And I just remember doing a lot of jumping through hoops, trying to keep that person happy. Yeah. And then finally, when that person left again, it was like, hallelujah. It was like the sky opened. <laughs> I love and it. Everything, everything changed again. Like I just had a much happier team and everybody wanted to come to work. When, when you think about it, if you as the leader had to jump through a lot of hoops to make them happy, what did everybody else have to do to make them happy? I mean, it, it's almost like when you pull that person out of it and everybody's kind of free to go back to doing their own job or role or, or whatever their level of responsibility is, when they're free to pursue that, that's kind of where the magic happens. And when we have these people that we look at the numbers and it's like, ah, the spreadsheet says they're awesome. Well, if we're not looking beyond the spreadsheet, then a lot of times we're actually poisoning our organizations. Yeah, that is very true. All right. So you're leading with culture first. 
I think as we talked about this with the way we outlined it, it was culture first. Why is it important to spread the balance of power? Because I think that, and again, this is very much tied to a specific set of facts here with this individual. By allowing this person who was relatively new to me to have the power of hiring, I mean, when someone's being hired into a large organization, the person that they actually speak with that, that hires them, they're seen as a major authority in their life and in their future. And, and yeah. that's, they're the person that people turn to when there's any sort of an issue. Even if there's a, hey, if you have an issue, here's the, the chain of command, here's how this should go. That gets thrown out the window, especially if you have somebody in there that loves that power and is all too willing to subvert what the rules are to be able to maintain that power for themselves. So, and by that, the way, that's a C player. Like, yeah, that that's, I mean, we all want to avoid those chaos um, causers C for chaos. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you know, C players will hire other C players or he might've been a B player. They're going to downgrade the hiring. And then it just kind of creates all kinds of problems for you because the people that are just taking the jobs are the ones that are just there for the paycheck, not for the mission or the vision. Yeah, exactly. And, and also, too, just a big part of that was by diffusing this power element, by bringing in other people in the decision. Number one is it showed a lot of trust to my new managers that were coming in, especially in the Virginia branch, my, my lieutenants out there. Yeah. It showed them that, hey, I valued their opinion and I wanted their take on, on who we were bringing into the organization. And then number two, everybody also, because it wasn't just one person, that was hiring all of these people, everybody always followed the protocol and, and they were trained the way that we wanted them trained. There was no sort of side way of skewing their upbringing in the organization by letting everybody sort of know that this is how we do things. There's, at the end of the day, I'm, I was at the top of the food chain. So that's kind of why I wanted to make sure that I was the one that sort of had final say. Yeah. But to get to that point, I wanted to make sure that I had all of my direct reports involved. And I wanted to make sure that the people that were coming on knew that it's not just one direct report. There's not one road you know, to me or one road to advancement in the company. These are all the people that are going to be helping us basically be successful both in the office. And I think that's the other part that I talked about was we tried to also create successful situations for people outside of the office where I, I feel like when you're hiring people, if they really can feel like they're part of the family or part of something bigger because that's what it is, then they tend to perform better and they tend to last longer. That was the other big lesson there was let's just not rubber stamp people and get them into the org because, as you said, we have a C player hiring C people. Let's try to hire people that are willing to go a little bit outside of that, that they're willing to really make this a personal thing. You know, I, I call it gaffing, you know, give a flip. It's when people really care about the organization and the mission, they're not just going to show up, try to, to not be seen like office space yeah. and do just enough to not get fired. Yeah. They're going to come at you with ideas. Fortunately, what ended up happening with this individual was we had some people that gaffed and basically came to me and said, hey, this individual is subverting the message. And we don't like that. We want to be, we're a part of this bigger thing. This is hurting you. You need to do something about it. And then when you did? Game changer. It was a lot better for everybody. We had a lot more fun. We started hiring and, and attracting a lot of people that were much more mission focused and believed in the things that we did. Well, so that brings us to the topic of firing fast. You learned that one, right? Yeah. So we had two branches. We had the Virginia branch and the California branch. And any of the listeners that live in California understand that the employment laws are very different than almost any other state. So in order to release somebody, we had to go through several steps. We had multiple strikes. We had performance improvement plans. And we had it wasn't just as easy as for us to just say, hey, 
this isn't working. Um, we need to let you go. Here's your severance. So that's kind of when I found out, though, as I was digging and I was like, I've got to get this person out of this role as fast as possible. And that's when I found out that, OK, wait a minute, we have a couple of strikes already here. First of all, how come nobody told me that right <laughs> before before they give me this person, number one, but that's neither here nor there. Now that we were able to take out. those things. Yeah, now we knew them. And it's like, oh, OK, this isn't strike one. This is actually strike three. And I was able to move pretty decisively and remove that person. And I just remember thinking to myself after that occurred, it was almost cowardice in a lot of ways for the org to, rather than removing this person, which he should have been removed long before me, just trying to redirect somebody or push him off to another division or to another role in the company, that doesn't do anybody any good. Seriously, like releasing him to the world, he could find a place that he's going to be better. Absolutely. And I think that's your responsibility. Yeah. And, and you know, from a personal level, I like the guy. I would definitely have a beer with him or something like that. He just was wrong for the organization, as you put it. It needed to be done not only for the org and what we were trying to do, it needed to be done for him. Yeah. So he could go out there and actually, if he's probably a business owner at this point, like he was that sort of mindset. So hopefully he was able to land on his feet and build something in, in his own image and vision. Yeah, I'm sure it is. You have this thing, a leader interview. So tell me about that before we wrap up here. Obviously, I've read your book and, and we apply those principles. And, and I love the, the section you have on, on those knockout questions. And what we ultimately did at, at this particular organization is once I kind of took on the final say role, we believed that, you know, our spirit animal were, were penguins. And I'd always ask people at the end of the interview, if, especially if it was going really well, is, you know, what do you think about penguins? And what I found were that people that like penguins uh, typically did well in our organization. And it sounds so silly, <laughs> but, you know, there's a there's one person in particular I recall, and he didn't like penguins. I was like, what do you think about penguins? He said, I think they're stupid. And it kind of took me back a little bit. And I thought, well, that's kind of fair, though. Like, it's a weird question. So I'm just going to go ahead and I'm not going to let the penguin question be a knockout question. That's silly. And I ended up bringing the person on and I had to let him go soon after. I should have stuck to my guns on my knockout question. So that was the big takeaway there is even a silly question that or seems silly as a knockout question, if it's working and there's history behind it, there, there's no reason to second guess yourself. Or I wish I didn't second guess myself, I should say. But you know what? Look at it from the perspective you're actually judging somebody's attitude. I think that's it. Yeah. It's read the room. Thinks, oh, yeah. you know, penguins are dumb birds. I don't like them. That's kind of somebody with a poor attitude. Yeah. Right? Who doesn't like penguins? Especially in that context. Like, why would I ask? I mean, did he grow up <laughs> in Antarctica and maybe some king penguins like ate his food? I, I mean, mean like, they, they dress sharp. Yeah. You know, it's like they're, they're wearing tuxedos all the time. They dance. Yeah. Happy well, feet. And they also they have they have, uh, you know, one partner through life too, like penguins. Yeah. They have a very sophisticated social structure and there's a lot of them. There's a lot of different types of penguins. They fly through the water. I, I could spend all hour just talking about penguins and, and how awesome they are. Well, luckily for me, we're almost close to time being up. No, I like penguins. So, all right, well, shoot. What would be two or three key takeaways you can give the audience that can plug into their business today? Especially if you're coming into a, a new organization, if there's a merger or an acquisition, and there's going to be people being brought from one team to the other, doing a little bit more digging not just believing people when they say, oh, this person's going to be great for your division. Yeah. So just actually put them through the process as you would if it wasn't somebody that came from the company. That was the first one. And, and then the second one too is how we finished on. It's once you find, and, and sometimes it happens in very odd creative ways, but once you find those knockout questions and you know that when people answer in, in a certain way that they're going to fit your culture, your vibe, don't second guess that. I mean, hey, I use knockout questions all the time. I think they're super valuable to really understand whether or not somebody aligns with the organization. Yeah, and, and it's one of those things to where I wish that I would have held more true to, to my guns on that one. 
Todd, man, thank you so much for your time investment today. And I want to welcome you to the Higher Power Radio community. Now, what would be the best way in which members of the audience can find you, connect up with you, find your company? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm a LinkedIn guy. So the easiest way is on my LinkedIn. And that's just Todd Osherman, A-U-S-H-E-R-M-A-N. That's the easiest way to get it to get in touch with me. Now, Notary, we're growing fast and we're, we're sort of in our infantile stages still. So yeah, but you're uh, hiring though, right? We are hiring. So yeah. some of anybody who's listening. Yeah, absolutely. And specifically right now, we're looking for, for development help. So uh, we need, uh, yeah, we have a couple of devs we're looking to fill right now. All right. Well, shoot. I want to thank our listening audience for tuning in this week's episode of Higher Power. Quick thanks to our team, Brian Colburn, Andrea Ballin, and Ayla Gerard. If you're listening to the podcast, please subscribe, review, and share after all the shows for you. And we want to continue to deliver great, valuable content for you every week. You can join the Higher Power Radio community at Higher, H-I-R-E, Power, P-O-W-E-R, Radio, R-A-D-I-O.com, or you can drop me an email at rickettstridesearch.com. Next week, we're going to be off. We're taking a little bye. I haven't taken a week off yet. I know. Sorry, guys. But it is holiday weekend. But in the new year, January 4th, our guest is going to be Bruce Watanabe. He's the co-founder and CEO of Power Buy. I'm your host, Rick Gerard, and you have been listening to the Higher Power Radio Show. Happy holidays and happy new year. Aloha. Thank you for listening to Higher Power Radio. Catch our LinkedIn live show every Tuesday at noon or download the podcast on iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, or your favorite podcast platform. We appreciate you joining us on Higher Power Radio with your guide to hiring success, Rick Giraud.